Hi, I'm Phil Serenides, joined by Missy Kofi. We're the PIs of EC DataWorks. EC DataWorks is releasing a short series of podcasts that focus on lessons learned and future directions for use of integrated data by state early childhood agencies. I'm excited. Hi, Missy. Hey, Phil. How are you? Great. And this episode is going to really look deeply at something that you and I have talked about uh, quite a bit and thought about, which is how do we address all of the change that occurs normally in and around ECIDS? There are staffing changes, there are funding changes, there are priority changes, there are technology changes, and those can be really challenging as you try to develop and build and use an ECIDS. And so we've learned a lot as we've gone along, and um, we're going to be able to hear from some conversations that you and I have had with states and leaders in the field. Yeah, I think it's been really helpful to hear their perspective of how things have evolved over time, right? As we talked about in the first podcast, this has been a conversation that's been happening for a little bit now. And so we've seen turnover in staff. We've, t- we've seen leadership transitions, both at the policy levels within states and within state organizations. So... I mean, Phil, even in your work, right, you started in a state and you've transitioned but continued the conversation in a different capacity. Uh, so I think as we're thinking about how states have been able to manage and, and absorb the kind of these, these multiple changes that are occurring, I think some of the states that we hear from today are really going to be able to shed some light on and what has worked well and what lessons have been learned throughout the time. So Phil, how does managing change relate to building resilient analytics? Early on, we had the 10 fundamentals. Early on, we had, you know, the 100 research questions that every ACIDS should answer. Early on, we had a way of thinking about the work that defined sort of success and also provided some guidance as to how to move forward. And I think it served a wonderful purpose and it got a lot of results. But now when we think about these data systems, not only do we need to think not just about the system, but about the use of the system. And for me, a strong system or one that's being used effectively and sustainably is no longer just a list of the data elements that are, it contains, but more we're seeing from examples from states that are actually doing the work and showing great progress or maybe sometimes struggling is that systems that are uh, effective and are being used are ones that are resilient to many different uh, challenges. And change is one of them. But the constant churn of staff and the others that we've mentioned, the funding is a big one, the technology moving targets, as well as the priorities, even some of the legal context in which these systems are operating has just been something in which too often they've felt like they've been reactive instead of being able to move forward toward the state vision. Yeah, I think while we often talk about change as being something it's hard to manage, I mean, it is, I think it's also just a natural part of the work. I have had conversations with many teams at different stages of development and use of their early childhood integrated data system. You have had many more conversations than I have, but it seems like every time that I sit down and talk to states, or I go to a a conference and interact with folks, there's always at least one person in the room who, who, you know, says, oh, this is my, this is my first week or first month, right? Um, It's, it's just common, I think, in the public sector, and it's been the case in early childhood agencies, and it's been true for, for the data teams, that there has just been this constant churn and transition. 
And so that can be really disorienting for some folks if they inherit a system that they weren't part of the early conceptualization, early, early conversations, and they're sort of living in a world that they didn't create and need to try to understand as they go along. How have you seen this issue of staff turnover and, and sort of new people who are entering the data teams and entering the conversations in states and then need to get up to speed? How has that, how has that played out? So I think there's a couple things, Phil, to your, to your point, right? There's one that there's this turnover, right? I think in addition to not only just the typical turnover, we're seeing folks with very different backgrounds come into these roles, right? As we're going to hear from other interviews during the series, we have some that come from library sciences, others who have a mental health background, some that come from, you know, academia, some that have more, you know, they're, they're just like, you know, some have legal background. We have a, a team of <laughs> folks nationally who are working to build these ECISs that even have very different backgrounds and skill sets. And to be honest, that has really contributed to the way that these uh, conversations nationally have unfolded. I think that that those changes that have occurred have actually been to the benefit of the states as they have different perspectives coming into the conversations. I think one of the most challenging things we've seen as we're talking, especially the folks who are coming on when there's already an established group, as you mentioned, is that there's this idea of how do you build trust with a group that's already established and you're coming in, right? It's like being the new boss in an organization where you're, you're stepping into a role where there's already a really well-established team. In this case, it could be really well-established set of stakeholders or organizations that have been working together for a long time, and you're now coming into a role that needs to coordinate these. And so I think there, there is just a, a natural transition time that comes into, into the conversations, as I think we've seen in, in, with folks like Utah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. And you've worked with Utah quite a bit, where they have had both transition in, in, the, in the lead for the data work and also the need to build the trust. What, what's been going on in Utah? So Utah is interesting because uh, they were actually the very first state that I provided technical assistance to around an ECIDS. And I, I came out to work with a group of about 30 stakeholders at that point who were trying to figure out what data governance might look like for a system um, like an ECIDS. And so that was back a decade ago at this point. And at that point, there were different leaders. They had different TA providers um, supporting that work. And this was just in the imagination stage where it was like, what would this look like? What would we want this to be? It's wonderful to see that through the last decade, they have now come to a point where they're actually starting to release some of the data that they've understood what those data products look like. Their stakeholders are really well informed about what they could do with these information assets that they have. Uh, so, you know, a couple years into the work, they had a staff turnover, right? So the person who formerly was leading the work, Colleen Murphy, took a new position and Steve Matherly came in, right? Very different backgrounds, even just the two of them, but both had a very strong passion and interest for helping uh, children and families in their state. And I think that ultimately everybody we, we seek managed through these transitions in particular all have the same goal in mind. But I do think it took um, a little bit of time. And I think we'll hear this from Steve to really understand what it looked like to do this well and to understand what had been done and what was what was working and what wasn't going to work. And then to understand his own style of how he was going to be able to manage and lead this work through what became many, many changes for the state. Because not only did they have this leadership change for the ECIDS, they've had organizational changes where the, where the ECIDS was going to be housed, new partners that came to the table. They had legislation that came in and changed where these data systems were going to reside overall from a state. And so they've had just about every uh, change that you could expect <laughs> to see in a state really happen over the last decade. And so I think hearing really from Steve's perspective will be great. 
and I got the chance to ask Steve about all those things. Stephen Matherly uh, is the program coordinator of, at the Utah Department of Health who oversees the early childhood data system work there. And let's have a listen to some of that conversation. Hi, Stephen. It's good to speak with you. Because you've been someone who's been working on early childhood data systems longer than most of the state folks that I know of. However, your work started before you came to the Utah Department of Health. I, I wonder, what did you think you were getting yourself into when you got started? So initially, my role was to help launch our early childhood integrated data system. And actually, upon hire, I was informed that the button was ready to push. <laughs> It was, it was ready to launch, and then my job would basically be to manage uh, the accounts and uh, manage the reports and uh, you know, help uh, to spread the word of our early childhood integrated data system uh, to communities and such and, and potential stakeholders. Steve, how, how has your role changed then from uh, when you started and, and um, I'm sure sort of realized that there was more to do than simply click a button? to um, to launch your 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 e-kids well what had happened a couple years prior is our developer and as the program manager um, at the time for our e-kids as they were kind of going down the road of uh, you know development and data sharing agreement and such the department a larger department as a whole was developing our master person index and our department developing much uh, a deeper, much more comprehensive system security measures and various forms, uh, you know, to go along with those system security measures. And then so when I go back and, and begin to uh, look at the data sharing agreements and then outreach uh, to the partners, well, you realize that some of those staff are still in place, uh, you know, program managers or, you know, even executive director uh, leadership from some of our uh, potential data sources, they've changed. So it wasn't uh, just a, a quick uh, a check of a box and a nod. It really had to re-educate um, a lot of partners that were in critical positions as to what our eKids was all about and what the data sharing agreement was all about and what our intentions were and everything. You know, which date, what are you talking about? What is an eKids? And uh, you know, what are you going to use this data for and who's going to see it and how are you going to govern it? And it, it all came you know, back uh, to the surface again, especially for the new, new partners. So, you know, I needed to establish those relationships. And literally, oh, over the course of a couple months, I worked with program managers that had been looking forward and, and, and working uh, towards eKids for you know, years. And then, uh, you know, one left and one retired and boom, brand new people in place and start over, start a new relationship. And of course, when somebody's new, <laughs> you know, they're overwhelmed with all the regular day-to-day -day, uh, job duties they're gonna, going to have to absorb. And this is something on the peripheral. So you kind of have to wait your turn. <laughs> and it is the uh, e-kids uh, systems like this have a lot of moving parts. So you've had some technology changes, you've had some staffing changes, you've had some process changes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how your funding picture has or has not uh, been stable as you've done this work now over many years? So we had legislation that was created uh, from the state here in 2017 
that created a brand new statewide longitudinal data system uh, host. And while the SLDS money still flowed, the SLDS funds from the Department of Education still flow to our local state education agency, that money uh, is now a pass-through and it goes to a, a different agency, the Department of Workforce Services, where we now have our SLDS is now called the Utah Data Research Center. And so now that created a, a, a triage, if you will. And now it was wonderful legislation. And it was great to see uh, the state support of an SLDS, as well as additional funding, of course. But now how are we going to do this? How are we going to match records? And, and how does this change our agreements? And how, at the end of the day, how are we still going to accomplish what we set out to do? You've you've changed the data model as you've kind of moved, you know, shifted the 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 eKid system, but also brought in some new information. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the pro the technology process that's been um, used to um, integrate this information and how that has itself really been developed over the course of the project? You bet. I'd love to talk about a couple of data changes that we've had, as well as our community assessment tool. As we, you know, we really got down in the weeds and we really looked at our data elements and we discovered that while we had enrollment and exit dates in our e-kids, that for some programs such as Head Start, uh, Home Visiting, Early Intervention, IDEA, you know, Part C and others, we didn't really have frequency dosage data targeted for integration. Your day-to-day, -day, your, your service, whether that's classroom attendance and a Head Start, or whether that's a home visit service from a McVee-funded home visiting or IDEA Part C, early intervention, or even a home visit service you know, from, head, from early Head Start or Head Start, as opposed to you know, classroom services. So we spent a lot of time on our language of our, our, of our standard reports, and thankfully, uh, due to the SLDS grant from the Department of Ed, we received extra funding, uh, supplemental funding from our state education agency to add that frequency and dosage uh, data uh, for, the, for the programs that it's applicable to, as well as race and ethnicity data, which was another oversight that had been talked about, but really wasn't in the contracts. And uh, so we were able to uh, solve uh, some pretty big, uh, you know, uh, dilemmas there. I'm, I'm interested to know from your perspective, what has really helped you manage all that change and transition? And what has helped your sort of system in Utah remain resilient to those challenges and, and transitions that have, that have come up all throughout your, your work there? Well, I think it's actually a pretty good fit. Um, I have a disposition, I think, uh, for this kind of thing. When I first started my career out of uh, graduate school, uh, graduate school of social work, I did uh, 10, 15 years, actually, uh, of clinical mental health work, uh, you know, with children and teens and families. Uh, a lot of those cases were uh, child protective type of cases, a lot of foster care cases, a lot of abuse and, and things of that nature. And you learn. You learn very quickly. <laughs> the change comes slowly <laughs> and it comes over time and it doesn't come at all without that relationship and without putting down, you know, some good roots. And you have to be prepared for a, a three steps forward, a two steps back, a four steps forward. 
you know, that's just human nature. And I learned that, you know, early in my career working with children and families. And then uh, at, I, in 2008, I had transitioned uh, to working with the Child Care Development Fund in Utah. And myself and several of my colleagues uh, and the Child Care Resource and Referral Agencies here in Utah were very involved at launching our very first uh, quality uh, rating or quality, uh, you know, improvement system. And that took several years. And that was also very hard work. And that's also a system that's always, you know, changing and in different iterations. And that took a lot of input uh, from, as I mentioned, the child care resource referral staff, the child care providers, uh, child care licensing. You have center providers, you have family providers, you have family, friend and neighbor. And everything that we've talked about today, Phil, is like, how can you take a tremendous amount of information and, and put it in, in one place? And make it acceptable to your consumers without it being overwhelming. And so that was also a very big part of our um, QRAS, which we called Care About Child Care. And then so when I came to the Department of Health in, in 2016, I was already kind of geared up. I was already kind of in the disposition. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know this would be the case. As I said, when I was hired, uh, it was kind of uh, portrayed that this was you know, ready to go. But I had already kind of developed the mentality and and disposition, the things of this nature, you know what, they take a long time. And uh, you've really got to just kind of keep chipping away. You know, you just got to, you know, chip away at the mountain and, and chip away and just keep on pressing along. And, and I said, you know, it's a good fit. It's a good fit for me in this position that that's, this is kind of the way I'm kind of the way I'm wired anyway. And then of course, kudos to my many stakeholders. Uh, they, they also uh, realize what it takes to, uh, change families, change children, change system, all of them realize it. You got to be in it for the long haul, but there is reward. I mean, when you see things like I've mentioned, the legislation that created our Utah Data Research Center and the legislation that created our Early Childhood uh, Governors Commission, we just produced, as I mentioned, a, a strategic uh, needs assessment for the state and a and a strategic plan. And, and so, you know, every once in a while, something becomes fully tangible. We have uh, we, we have the community assessment tool out there that people are clicking on and, and changing and giving us feedback. We've got those eKids reports. They're out there. We're adding data sources all the time. Now it's, tan it's tangible, real numbers, real language, real, you know, real data. And, uh, you know, that's what keeps us all moving along is those uh, successes as, as you go. I think you've done a great job really helping to to not only set the direction but the pace of the work. And so I want to I want to uh, congratulate you on that and thank you for uh, spending some time talking with me about all that you've learned and accomplished. I mean, it just it just goes to show you you, you can't do it alone. And uh, I've been able we've been able to accomplish we've been able to get uh, to where we're at by building upon what was done before I was even in this role. And then just continuing that. And at some point, hey, I, I'm going to be able to retire here in a few years. and I'm going to need to transition, uh, pass this baton on to others. Now, hopefully, if I've done my work right, these others are rooted and have the same vision and are a seamless to transition and be able just to keep on, keep on going and keep on growing. So, Phil, that was a great interview. I think Steve was really able to capture what has happened in Utah and to tell that story. 
the changes that they've gone through have been tremendous. And at the end of it, they have a really strong team and a really strong set of stakeholders. So I'm really interested to kind of hear what, what were your reflections as you kind of heard Steve kind of reflect on his experience? Well, it's it was great to talk to him for the same reason that I think he's been so successful in in the work he's done. He's He's a cult of personality and he has a magnetism to himself. And I think that he has been able to really actually build a culture. And we talk about culture of data use, but he talks about the culture of trust and the human side of the work. He has just been very supportive of his stakeholders and of the community of people there, which is something that I've had to learn the hard way and I think comes to him naturally. You know, when I started in Pennsylvania, I had almost the opposite point of entry. I was, um, a, you know, I had degrees in statistics and quantitative methods, and I knew very little about early childhood and even less about the service delivery models. But I was drawn to the, uh, out of a sort of public interest in supporting the systems and services in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, that I wanted to be supportive. And data and it came very quickly to me in data systems. And so uh, I, I really wanted to, to see that work move forward. And I think my, I had to learn a, a lot of hard lessons along the way. My brain and my sort of attitude at the time was, we can solve problems that deal with people by using numbers, right? The, the numbers are going to give us the answers to the problems that we have with, with, you know, in our society. And over the course of seeing how the human side of, of these systems and even of these data systems is the key to their success, I, I've really now had a reverse in my perspective where I understand that we have so many challenges to developing and using uh, data systems effectively and sustainably that the problems we have with the numbers are only going to be solved by people. And people like Stephen are great examples of how even just the, the, the dulcet, soothing tones of his voice, I think, help bring people along the, um, and, and earn their trust. And so that's where we start talking about culture of data use. It's also a culture of collaboration and, and a culture of mutual support. He had more challenges than I could Im- imagine dealing with. Well, he's, he's a great example of what we often will say, which is, you know, the technology is the easy part, right? It's not what's going to prevent you from creating an easy IDS. It's, it's getting the buy-in and understanding what you're going to want to do and what decisions can be informed if you had uh, better information, right? And so I think Steve kept that front of mind as he continued to work with stakeholders and continued to get buy-in. And, you know, there are a lot of things that changed. Legal was changing. His technology team was changing. Um, right. The, like he said, his partners at the SLDS were shifting significantly. Right. So he was constantly having to kind of evolve with the work. And I think he recognized that that was a skill set for him that really made a difference. Because especially when you're walking in and you're at this like final stage of trying to move to development, that was a really important skill set. So I agree, Phil. I think this idea of collaboration and that, that being a really important part, because it, while we are talking to Steve, he has a whole lot of people in the state that are actually helping to make this go live and actually make it successful about using it with the states. And he knows that all of his stakeholders are really important. I appreciate that Steve has always kind of kept that kind of top of mind. You know, there are certainly all-stars out there, but I think Steve would be the first to say that it, it, it takes a, a large team of people to make this successful. 
And I get too much credit for, for some of the work that I was a part of because that also was, it was an office. It was, it was a department, you know, actually in Pennsylvania, it was two departments, right? That were working together to make the system successful and go live. And some of these people just are, are drawn to the work or perhaps they have sort of a crooked path in their life that leads them to the work. But also there have been a lot of efforts to support this type of conversation and trust building early on. The federal government has even had a role in helping support states do the hard work in the early stages of building trust among partners. And you were able to talk a little bit about that with Richard. Yeah, I was. During his interview, Richard was really able to articulate that the challenges that they've seen across the country, right? As, as folks who've been monitoring grants that support some of the CCIDS work, I think Richard recognized that it's not just a data system project, but that it's, it's an opportunity for this tool to be used as part of the systems building work and, and recognize that there's a lot of people that come along with that and that there is a need to build that trust. So let's listen in to see what he had to say. Hello, I'm Missy Coffey, and I'm one of the PIs for EC DataWorks, and I'm joined today by Richard Gonzalez, Preschool Development Grant Project Manager from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families. Hi, Richard. Thanks for being here today. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, we had an opportunity to talk a lot about um, how the data system components were really fitting into ELC and then that would evolved into PDG over time. So I'd love to hear your perspective of what were some of the internal conversations and what were some of the thoughts federally about why do you include, at that time it was section E2, I believe, in the data system co you know, component of the ELC? Do you remember much of that? Well, so, you know, it, it's, it actually started with even before the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge. It started when funding was given to states to do state advisory councils and funding was in Head Start and they decided that they were going to uh, they wanted to have some entity within the state that was going to help advise governors and make decisions about where early childhood funding should go. And when we gave the funding to the states to create these early child advisory councils, the idea was that they were supposed to bring together people across different departments and represent the different early childhood stakeholders in the state so that they could begin to make those kinds of decisions. It became really apparent uh, from those beginning meetings uh, that, that started in 2009, 2010, that a number of items that kept coming up over and over again by states was the fact that they really did not have data. They had lots of anecdotal stories. They knew how programs they were working. They had a good sense from hearing from parents and hearing from staff of, of what was making a difference to children. But there was really no uh, meaningful data that was being used to inform decision-making. And so a lot of the recommendations that came out of these state advisory councils was this idea of looking to strengthen or create, in some cases create, but in many cases strengthen and um, data systems and, and then also look at ways that they could begin to share data among the various programs. So that started it. And when Congress created the legislation for the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge, um, they had listened to our feedback at the federal level and state feedback where 
Folks said, look, if you're going to make improvements in the lives of families and the outcomes for children and getting them ready for kindergarten and, and later school, that you needed to really have not only uh, work on curriculum and work on social-emotional development, work on all the development of the child and support for the family, but you also really had to begin to collect data and you had to create data, collect data in a way that it was going to be the right data that was going to answer the questions. So you first had to even figure out what the questions were that you needed answers to. Within the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge funding, we created this opportunity for states to use portions of their funding to begin to have those data discussions. What they realized right away was, first of all, that they weren't even sure. A lot of times, the people who were in these positions for overseeing programs were not people who had a lot of knowledge about data how to collect data, how to determine what the data sets should be, how to determine uh, or even be aware of the rules related to privacy and confidentiality. So as they began to struggle with this, they also began to struggle to understand that they actually even had different opinions about what these meant, about what the terms meant. And so they had more and more conversations with each other. They, They had to start by just coming together to even discuss what data they thought they should be collecting and why they needed to collect it. They had to begin to create a vision and a purpose for this data collection, and they had to agree. And there was a lot of distrust in the early stages because people were afraid of sharing data with one another. How was it going to be used? Would it be used in the way that was it was intended to be used, etc.? And so it, the early, those early stages of trying to create these data systems prove much more difficult than folks thought it was going to be. Why do you think that is, Richard? I mean, if, think about the system, and we've, we've come a long way about building these systems and having people work together. But in those early days, what do you think the fear was about sharing data? Well, so, I mean, it, I think part, I mean, it always comes back to this issue of trust, right? I don't know, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your agenda is. I don't know, are you going to somehow with this information either reduce the amount of funding that I have for my program or maybe even take my program away from us and, and, and put it into another department? There was always this concern or this impression that somehow data hurt programs rather than helping them. And I think partly because most of the people in the early childhood world did not have any training, even those who had classes and coursework, didn't really spend much time on data and the purposes of data and the value of data. And so there was just this general distrust. Yeah. And do you think, Richard, that that has changed at all over time? Do you think that perception has changed? <laughs> so so I actually, I mean, I think it has changed, but I don't think it has gone away. And so I think there's absolutely been progress. Um, and I think we're still trying to help those states that are lagging behind uh, to, and even those programs that are less trusting to understand the value of the data and how it can actually make a positive difference for them. The federal government has also been one of the pillars of supporting the state work. They've done that through funding, and they've also done that through some guidance and um, sort of how they've structured some of the the funding opportunities. So, yeah, I think the federal government has been super supportive. And I think that early on, you know, if we think back, as we heard in the first podcast, 
you know, 16 of the 20 ELC states, for instance, wrote about having and using that's part of their funding to do this ECIDS work, right? We knew that by the end of it, eight of them had it um, or had some version of an ECIDS, right? I think that even goes back to showing how hard not only is the work and in, in getting the buy-in from so many different stakeholders to really make an, an ECIDS is not, there's no one single agency. We know that. It really takes a team. And I think as we think about managing change, we also have to think about while there are leads and folks that we've talked to, it takes really a village of folks from multiple agencies to both represent the work that they are doing, the priorities of their agencies, as well as the collective need across the state. That Minnesota system is one of the first that was actually launched and operational. I agree. And like Stephen, Anita is someone who, is, who has been doing this work and supporting it over a period of time that's, that's given her some perspective on what's worked and what hasn't worked. Yeah. And they've, I mean, again, we go back to this idea of where their skill sets come from, right? Anita is a trained researcher, right? And really thinks a lot about research to practice partnerships. And so a lot of the folks who are part of her, her group across the agencies are not only the state agencies, but they have a lot of research, um, researchers on the, at the table, right? Who are contributing to how do we look at data? They've also done a really phenomenal job of bringing advocacy organizations into their conversation. But if we go back to this idea of They've had change over time as well, right? Anita is now in a new role, but continues to be connected to the work. But you you see this shift in the folks who are even at the table. And I think they've done a really nice job of continuing to kind of document what they have done and bring other people up to speed, like an onboarding process that has really allowed for others to kind of engage in the conversation in this kind of evolving stakeholder uh, conversation to continue on. And I think that's been really important to their success is that they've been able to do that well. They have enough folks who have been at the table from the beginning, but they've also been very intentional, I should say, about how they've included others as they've joined the team. Yes, and they have also been very intentional about where they hope to see the system go. And we talk about how hard it is when funding is short-term or stop-start. And there's, I think that's recognized. There's, there, it's hard when you have staff turnover. It's hard when the technology is, is changing as you are building the system and you know, you, you, what you thought was innovative has already become a dinosaur uh, by the time you're ready to go live. And those changes are real. And going back to what Stephen was saying about the importance of trust and what Richard was saying about having those early conversations, all of those help you get through the peaks and valleys. But it's also interesting to think about how these systems can be an agent of change themselves, uh, especially as you think about achieving your three-year goals, five-year goals, or your, your ultimate you know, statewide vision for early childhood. You know, we've been talking about change as being a risk or at least putting downward pressure on the system. You can also think about change as being a positive or even the objective, right? And um, we know that these systems and services are not static and they, they have uh, a need to be responsive to changes. Uh, that's hard for governments and um, public administration officials. And so data can really keep you informed and responsive. And that is one of the real reasons why these systems were first even created. But sometimes that change that we are hoping to achieve can be uncomfortable. And that's something that Anita and Jen both spoke to very directly. 
Yeah, and I think what they also recognize is that there was some capacity building they had to do within their organization, right? That is part of the change in, in building, a, you know, states have for so long been a data producer, right? So they have been providing data out to localities. They've been providing federal reporting. We're now asking them to shift, right? And we're saying now consume your data, start to think about how what it means to use your data to inform your decisions. And I think Anita and Jen have recognized as they're thinking through with their states over their stakeholders, what does that look like? What needs does the state, uh, the state agencies have? What do their stakeholders have? And they also start from a very different place, I think, and where they begin with their data system. They have a very local perspective, which was uh, wonderful. And they really got to see the shifts um, happening locally. But now as they've kind of moved into a, a, a later phase of the work, they're now at a point where they're really looking at how state government is using the data and to kind of inform their own decisions. And I think even that shift from the user group and the priorities that happened over time, they recognized and saw that there were gaps that then their own staff that they wanted to be able to address. And I think we'll hear about that in future episodes as well. But I think the nice thing that in Minnesota had was that they built their system in-house. So Phil, to your point about technology, they were able to evolve a little bit more quickly because they had this in-house capacity to integrate new technologies as they were coming on board, to integrate new business intelligence, to build new analytics. So data systems certainly need to be responsive, um, and they can also facilitate change. So, um, Missy, you were able to speak with Anita and Jen about their work in Minnesota. Minnesota, as we've just said, has really been a leader in this. And at one point in the conversation, they really started to share with you how that has helped them reach some of their organizational change goals. Let's have a listen. Hello, I'm Missy Coffey, one of the PIs for EC DataWorks, and I'm joined today by Anita Larson, who oversees the data team at the Minnesota Department of Education and is the former ECIDS lead and Jen Verbrugge, who is the current ECIDS lead at the Minnesota Department of Education. So Jen and Anita, what are you most excited about for the future of early childhood integrated data? One of the things I think is really important for agencies to keep in mind is that this is a great opportunity to reach some of our other organizational change goals that we might have related to building data mindset, data capacity, data literacy within and without our agencies. In particular, um, when I look back over my experience building our early childhood data system, it really pushed people into a different space in terms of how they thought about their data, how they thought about their work, particularly when they shared a service population with another agency or another program, it really started to not just bring down some of the barriers that we have between agencies, but also change the thinking about service delivery, about ways we might change policy. And it also, I think, strengthened initiatives internally that um, have been kind of uh, tinkering around the edges of building better data skills among staff. One of the things that our agency continues to strive for is getting more staff at the program level thinking about their data more often, 
using it on a more regular basis, not just integrating it into our integrated data systems, but also using it for continuous improvement. And I have to say that is also something that we uh, did when we piloted our technical assistance project with our early childhood programs. We introduced them to our integrated data system, but we also talked with them about how does this work with your own local data really trying to shift them into kind of creative data thinking that they might not have otherwise done. So I think that this, this, all of this presents a really great opportunity to shift our organizations in a more of a learning mode. I agree with Anita. I, it's been really kind of touching almost to see the way that uh, different agencies are and organizations are thinking about ways to use data to better inform the work that they're doing and to increase their partnerships. I think, too, that this is happening all across the country. When you look at the preschool development grant and all of the states that have applied for and received funding to do some of this work to make sure that their early childhood systems are not as intimidating to um, the people who need them, the people who need those public resources and public programs. we're all making a concerted effort to simplify things. And one of the best ways to start doing that is by sharing data about about the people that we serve and the people that we want to support. So I have a lot of hope for the future in getting people more comfortable with using and sharing data in respectful ways, of course, and responsible ways. I feel like there's a lot of power in that. And I think we're starting to see that shift all across the country. Thank you, Missy, for for having that conversation and for sharing that uh, with us. What did you take away from that conversation? I'm really struck by the the idea of one that there is some kind of sustainability planning. I mean, even the fact that Anita and Jen were were talking about this topic together, right? That as Jen steps into this new role, Anita's kind of mentoring her. Like, that's a nice opportunity that not everybody in a state always gets. But the other thing is that they both really touched on this idea of partnerships, which we've heard kind of as a common thread with Richard and with uh, Stephen early on, right? That they had to build these relationships and that these partnerships across state agencies is a, is a lot of work, but it's also really rewarding work. And I, and I really appreciate that Jen and Anita saw that benefit and that the, the use of data was really driven by this goal, of, this collective goal that they had as a state group. Sometimes there is a, a temptation to try to push to move too fast. And quite honestly, um, one, one challenge about the way some of the funding has been set up, although it has certainly enabled the work, is that it has created a, a sense of urgency to try to let, you know, get the system built and, 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 and implement it um, within, a, within a very short timeline. Yeah, I think we see this a lot, Phil, where we have this, you know, states, especially if they win a grant and they're like, okay, we have six months of setup and then we're going to start moving into development. And we know now, having done this with so many states, that, you know, this planning phase is much longer and it's usually 18 to 24 months, but that it sets the stage for much uh, more progress later because states are able to move quickly when you have everybody on the same page, everybody's on, the, you know, everybody's on board, everybody has bought into the the work, and that they've really articulated those information needs. As we talk about data analytics and building resilient data analytics, this is what we think a lot about. Like, 
what, who's informing this? How do we know that this is going to be the right information at the right time? And I think that's a really important part. You did some of this in Pennsylvania, right? So can you share a little bit how that, how did you all know what analytics were needed at that time? The advice that I would give now is very different from the way that we um, were, were making decisions early on. We moved to develop a system that would integrate information in ways that really created the potential for powerful analytics and to answer a number of questions. But I'd say that our success in integrating data did not match the full potential of using the data. And one of the reasons for that is sometimes you end up with uh, information that people don't understand or know what to do with. And you have a supercharged race car, but only 50 yards of road ahead of you. And so one of the things that I would uh, really do differently now is to spend more time on the use cases and to spend more time trying to think about how the reports would support ongoing operations. Early on, there were sort of two ways in which people conceptualized the use of the data. One is by coming up with 101 research questions. And those research questions are each individually all seemed very interesting, but did not necessarily have any obvious action that could be taken after you got the answer. The second approach that I think many uh, states took is the sort of if you build it, they will come model, where we just want to develop these data resources and make them accessible for other people. So we've never really identified who the data users are. We just assumed that they exist and wanted to make sure that they have information. And the problem with both of those is they, they don't really get into actionable use cases. Uh, in Pennsylvania, I think, I think we did try uh, to, to do some of that, but not as much as we should have. And, and the risk is that you end up with uh, information that is underutilized. And um, part of the reason why I've left the state but still continue to do the work of supporting states like Pennsylvania and others is because not only do I believe in the power of, the, of evidence and data use for decision making, but I also feel the weight on my shoulders a little bit of, and feel a little bit of uh, dissatisfaction with inadequate progress. And I, I think that we can do a lot better, which is why you and I continue to, to, to support states as we can. Uh, we want to thank the Heising Simons Foundation uh, for the work that they're doing nationally to support uh, efforts to improve the availability and use of data uh, for early childhood programming, for the systems work that they're doing, for the field building um, around early childhood integrated data systems, and for the support of projects like EC Data Works, um, which makes this podcast uh, possible. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. See you next time.